Peak Wealth Management proudly presents Finding True Wealth with certified financial planner Nick Hopwood and accredited investment fiduciary Jim Pilot. Nick and Jim believe by making simple, good financial decisions, you can retire with confidence. And now let's turn it over to your hosts, Nick and Jim. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management on the Finding True Wealth podcast today. I'll be sitting with Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. I've known Seth for the last few years and uh, working as a sponsor with MGO Blog. Um, I've learned, I've gotten to know Seth and I've learned from uh, our conversations about his background and his past and how he transitioned to being one of the um, big players in the blog industry, particularly the Michigan sports community, and how that's changed his lifestyle. And it made me think about uh, other clients that we work with who are in retirement and they've changed their lifestyle with a different form of retirement, whether an early retirement or a semi-retirement, what have you, and we call it lifestyle planning. And so Seth was describing to me how he approaches his career path in a different way, and it kind of falls into this lifestyle planning, but in a different order. Um, so Seth and I talk about that, and also how he uh, ended up working with MGO Blog and some of the behind-the-scenes stories. So um, it's, it's a long one. It's an hour, but uh, I think you'll be entertained. So uh, let's bring in Mr. Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Okay, Seth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a very visual podcast. This is actually a visual podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like right. we're we're trying to be, you know, funny about it, but this is actually visual. The MGO blog, the MGO podcast setup uh-huh. at the uh, Bow Store is pretty good. But yeah. This, but look at this. This, this is pretty this good. This is great. You got a phone <laughs> and a microphone hooked to it by USB. Yeah. Well, I don't, don't, don't tell Brian. We spent a lot of money on all yeah. that equipment. I think I got it figured out here yeah. on the budget. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know, Seth Fisher, Seth, what's your title at MGO Blog? Oh, God. We keep making it up. It's associate <laughs> editor and publisher and, uh, and business manager of MGO Blog. That's yeah. a lot of responsibility. Yeah. So basically like Brian's you know, right-hand guy. And for those of you who don't know what MGO Blog is, is there a URL? Yeah, it, it is mgoblog.com. <laughs> yeah. wow. We... Uh, you know, we cover football, baseball, and hockey, and basketball. Uh, you know, University of Michigan athletics and Michigan State. Yeah, well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we cover them too. Okay, uh, yeah. so Seth is here today to talk about the blog, yeah, and his role, and uh, you know, give us some insight behind the scenes and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and you asked me, you know, it's a different lifestyle. Blogging also, for a living is yeah. a very different thing, and like, you know managing your lifestyle and managing your work when you have this entirely different industry that didn't exist. Yeah. So there is no like, you know, you can't ask your father how you did this or you can't ask, yeah. you know, people. Yeah, I'm kind of out in the woods trying to figure this out. So you and I started talking about it before and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that's kind of something that people have to take into account when they're planning for their lives. Yeah. When, when I look at the topics that we've done on the podcast, we have like five or six that I lump into a lifestyle planning category, Mm -hmm. but usually it's more like retirement lifestyle planning. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I know if I'm ready to retire? Uh, What am I going to do with my time when I retire? What if I want to have early retirement or a semi-retirement? Right. And so yours kind of fits in that theme, Mm -hmm. but the order, the timing order is not chronologically the same. Right. (laughs) Right? I mean, I wouldn't, the idea is I don't want to ever stop. I don't want to retire. I I want to have, and people call it a lifestyle business, but it's really, you know, you're, um, 
you have to work around, you have so much time in your life. And are you going to spend all of your free time when you're old and you can't do things and your children are already grown? Or are you going to kind of use, I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm using up my time when I'm old. I just want to be, I want to be set up so I can have, you know, a fun adventure and enjoy everything that's there while actually, you know, putting in the work to make sure that my family can enjoy things and have nice things. And the work that you enjoy doing. Yeah. 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 I... I don't think everybody can find something that they enjoy doing as much as I enjoy MGO blog. It's just not fair, all right. Like, and it was, wow. it. I really, really love writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I and I love our, our our sponsors like you. Like, you know, I'm friends with a lot of the people that we do business with, mm-hmm. and, and readers, and and the readers. Yeah, I mean, I, I go in, I go to a tailgate, and I'll just start talking Michigan football, which is what I love talking about mm-hmm. anyway. I don't expect anybody to find. A job that they enjoy that much. Okay, I got really lucky in that. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah. Um, so we talked about semi-retirement. It's not like you're semi-retired or anything like that. You no, you it's work a full-time a job. Yeah. But the, the the thing is, it's something you love, and it's not a nine-to-five where you have to be butts and chairs. Right. And it's as you described, seasonal. Yeah. Right. So yeah, my season goes. I you know in the fall I'm covering football. I have to watch a lot of film, uh, and you know we'll, I have like three main articles every week during the football season that I have to like get done, and they all take a tremendous amount of work. One is the next year piece where I just go through Michigan's film and find something interesting to talk about from the game that just happened. Then I have to transition right to the opponent, and I got two big articles on the opponent to watch. Then we have to do the podcast and everything, and you know you're paying attention to college football. Around everything, I'm trying to like keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, you have to follow a lot of coaches and a lot of X's and O's things. Change, those things change so fast. So football season, my family knows that like I'm going to be a ghost, mm-hmm. especially during the week. Uh, I have this year we had two uh, bye weeks, so I had like things that I saved for the bye week, and mm-hmm. then I'll like you know I'll get things done around the house and I'll be with mm-hmm. the family. Um, and then you know winter time things calm down, and we do winter time activities. We ski as a family. Uh, we you know play around outside and like I'll, I'll spend more time with the kids mm-hmm. then because I know that I'm going to be missing it in spring. We put out uh, this book Hail to the Victors every year. It's, a, it's very nice. Yeah, well done. Yeah, thank thank you because <laughs> that becomes my life. <laughs> uh, and so like my book becomes like my life during the spring. Uh, and then once that's out and sold and in stores, then you know July to August up until the season comes, there's no more work to do than in the winter. But there's still like you know. An easier time then. We we sail and you know I go to the, swimming with the kids during the day and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that my life becomes seasonal like that. Other than that, like I have you know Michigan's got a schedule. I have to go you know if there's a basketball game, I have to schedule my life around that. I football obviously. I uh, during the football season, I'll go up to Ann Arbor on Friday uh, afternoon. We'll do the podcast. I'll usually meet with somebody or go to a hockey game or something afterwards on Friday night, stay in Ann Arbor at my cousin's, go and tailgate, visit clients in the morning, and then go to the game, and then come home. And then, like, Sunday, we have the podcast, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, because Ace came back, like, you know, four people on the podcast was too much, and I live out of town. So you do the Friday podcast. So I do the Friday yeah. podcast, and then uh, David and Ace and Brian sit down on the Sunday one. So I have to do some prep for that. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, the sponsors, I have to make sure the advertisement's all ready. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then once I can just kind of be done with that and then take my daughter to swimming, and Sunday is, like, my day with the kids when I can calm down. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, I'll download the game from the week before and then... 
start watching film by Sunday Sunday night. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so let's back up a second and, yeah. and talk about how did you get to be at this point, right? So you grew up in Michigan, yeah, right. Michigan fan, lifelong yep. fan. Yeah, I went when I was 11 years old. I got to go stay for a weekend with my cousin who was at Michigan at the time. Same cousin I stay with on the mm-hmm. weekends, uh, and you know he. Um, he had two roommates, both female, who uh, didn't believe in shirts. <laughs> and they took me to the football game, and I got to watch Desmond Howard just like eviscerate Indiana. And then we bought a book on the street. It was uh, Alice in Wonderland, like uh, you know, both sides the through the looking glass. And um, I went and read that whole book while I was up here, and. Had hot cider at the Brown Jug and a lot of good memories, huh? And uh, pancakes at Frank's, and I was like, nah, I got it, I got yeah. to do this. This from so, that moment on, like I was already a Michigan fan when I was a kid. Like you know, uh-huh. we talked on the playground. You know, everyone would be like, I'm yeah. Tony Bowles, right? right? And then, uh, you know, that transitioned into like heavy Michigan fandom after I visited in '91, and then like the, by, high, the highs and lows. Yeah, and like by '95, I was just like obsessed, yeah. absolutely obsessed. So. Okay, so I'm a year older than you, uh-huh. and the first I grew up at, in East Lansing, like as a Michigan State fan. Right, my, my parents. That's, that's what you say on our ad all the yeah. time. Just like, it's yeah. true. So, <laughs> but but I got into Michigan. Okay, uh-huh. so the first time I went to campus was my senior year, mm-hmm. and there was an older girl from um, our school that was a like an older sister of one of my friends, right? Yeah. So she hosted me for a night and my first Michigan experience is actually going to a hockey game like on Saturday <laughs> night. And in the sitting in the in the And this would have like ninety six. Yeah, ninety six, man. The best team. Yeah, right? it was a great, was a great so team. So sitting with the children of Yost, you know, and Goalie Sid, right? And Dancers, that was like the Dancers that was like Siv. the peak of Yost. It's all your fault. Yeah, like it was that, awesome. That. Like Yost it's never gonna be like that again. Yeah. Okay. Yost was just an animal house mm-hmm. back then. And no one would allow a college uh, sports get like that again. I mean, they they're fighting it when we were in college, right? Yeah, I remember Red was getting making public comments about right and, words and, and stuff. You know? The uh, and the president and the um, and the AD were both kind of on our Lee case. Bollinger. Yeah, they and, and they, they were kind of right to be like it wasn't a place you could take your kids to a hockey game back then. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, being part of it and being the age that we were at the yeah. time, like there is there's nothing. In sports, like, and I think some maybe the soccer teams that people get into nowadays are like that. But I, I remember coming back to school on Monday and mm-hmm. just telling all my buddies about how awesome it was, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, the first football game I went to was actually the Colorado game of 97. So, okay, anyway, so you're a Michigan fan. Yeah. But, but not a football player. No, no. So, I was supposed to go to see home. Uh, see Elm High School in Birmingham, and I chose to go to Groves instead. I already knew had some friends who were there, and uh, my m- mom like researched and she said, "Oh, we have like, you can do this." So I went to Groves instead, but they had rules about transferring and playing. Now I don't think the rules were about you know keeping an untalented Jewish boy off the team. <laughs> it was supposed to- sounds like a discriminatory. <laughs> it, yeah, was setup, yeah. it was supposed to be to like make sure that like everyone wasn't like jumping onto like one everyone cha- transfer yeah, schools. Yeah. Right. They were trying to avoid that. Um and they could have let me go and these days the rule's still in place but these days they waver like all sorts of kids like that. They would not waver me. So mm-hmm. I went and joined. I spent 3 days on the team. I was playing offensive line. I was really enjoying it because I'd always been a small kid and I was starting to get bigger finally. Mm-hmm. And I was really kind of having fun out there. And then 
uh, coaches kind of sat me down and said, "I'm sorry, you can't uh, you can't play." Uh, because you're a transfer, but you know we like to have you around the team. And I was like, "That's stupid. I'm going to go do something else." Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I went and did newspaper. Okay, and that kind of worked out well for me. Yeah, and yeah. I could write about the team. Uh, I went out again the following year, but that by then um, you had to be on junior varsity. You couldn't be on freshman yeah. when you're a sophomore. And everybody had been together playing together for a year, and everyone knew their positions and. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen, so I, I didn't make the team. <laughs> oh, so that was my football career, very, very short. Um, it, it was fine. I mean, like my brother's got a messed up shoulder from his football career, and yeah. when people ask me, like I'll be in a, in a room with people, like, "What'd you play?" I was right guard. Oh, I was, you know, I was, I was a strong side tackle. What were you? I'm like, I played guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you? Were you in a band? In, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, high I, yeah. Uh, in high school, it was just me and one other dude. And, okay. Um, and then I was in college. I was friends with a band that was trying to make it. Like we were trying to get okay. signed, and it turned out they were way more talented than me. So I kind of got left behind the uh, band. But uh, I was still kind of best friends with all these guys, and like we all lived together. And uh, you know, I was really focused on helping the band succeed. And then it came out of a joke. But one of the guys on the band, um, we were packing up all the equipment in Port Huron in the middle of the snow, and he goes, "Let's start an acoustic side project called Acoustic Side Project Less to Carry." So we had a little acoustic side project, and we did a tour around, like you know, the Midwest called Acoustic Side Project, less to carry. Nice, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so uh, you were at Michigan from '98 to '02, right? Yeah. So I get there, I get to Michigan for uh, orientation. Uh-huh. I remember they had the Michigan Daily edition for the freshman edition for Michigan Daily that would go out during orientation. All right, and so the, our edition in 1998 has the national championship football team picture. The Big Ten champion basketball picture, the national championship hockey picture, yeah. and in huge letters, ha ha, you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, man, in '97 it was fantastic. I think we even won the amateur, or not amateur, but club yeah. soccer national. Yeah, yeah, like too. Michigan so, won everything. Yeah, and like. Right, but we were like, yeah, whatever, man. We're coming in with Drew Henson and David yeah. Terrell and yeah. you know Victor Hobson. Mm-hmm. We're gonna win. We're gonna we're, we're gonna get four national championships. Yeah. But we were we were convinced that like, oh, we're not gonna we're not gonna lose. We got Drew Henson. <laughs> did you go down to Ohio State for the two thousand? Yes, I did. I was there. We didn't get to go to. I didn't get to go to the game. No, no. Uh, the the fourth fourth and goal. Yeah, naked boot. <laughs> Drew Henson for the to seal it. Yeah, to go up. Uh, it was like to go up eight or nine. Mm-hmm. What a what a play! Yeah, Lloyd called that. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. His uh his pass went. He like rolled all the way out to one side of the field, and then saw I think it was Terrell in the far corner of the other side of the end zone. Ohio State's like we don't have to cover that yeah, guy. Yeah. Look at you to the opposite side of the field, and like he lasered it over there. I've never seen a more incredible throw than that. Awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. After school, like during during college, uh, mm-hmm. what you what, what was your major? History, history. I, okay. I was on the daily. Oh yeah, you, yeah. What's your Twitter handle? At Misopagon. Can you explain that? It means all right. So it's a reference to Roman history because I thought I was going to be a historian. I thought I was going to go to uh, grad school and do history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
Emperor Julian is kind of like the hipster emperor of the Roman Empire. He's after Constantine. He tries to oh, bring it. Yeah, that's late. he tries to bring everything back after it goes Christian. He tries to like he tries to be a big philosopher and a big intellectual. This is me in college. Remember, mm-hmm. this is when I picked this name. Uh, and so he goes into this town, Nicaea, where everybody is a Christian and hates his guts. And they make fun of him. He's got a beard because, like, you know, the Christians are clean shaven and, like, the old philosophers had beards. So he has a big beard. And so he writes a play making fun of himself called The Misopagon, The Beard Hater. Oh, okay. Beard hater. And it's about, you know, it's Emperor Julian making fun of himself to ingratiate himself to this town where they hate him. They hate his guts. And so the, the play takes off. And it's you know performed in Nicaea and Antioch, but it no one gets the joke. Everyone thinks that it's you know yeah. someone is making fun of the emperor, not the emperor is making yeah. fun of himself. Hmm. Um, so he, he also burned his ships way before Cortez. I want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> so do you like to work that whole idea, making fun of yourself into your? Yeah, like, yeah. Routine? I was a bearded guy who's intellectual. <laughs> not everybody understands who yeah. you know has a sense of humor about himself and maybe gets a little gets his ideas a little bit too far ahead of him and. It was a little bit of a hipster thing. And back then, like, everybody had an internet name, right? Like, you know, Orson Swindle is, was, uh, was the guy in Mine, GDS, mine yes, was and... Hopwood 1. Yeah. Uh, look, at, look at a guy like me and right. you think, that guy's got creative written right. all over it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, Sounds so, like a money manager. Right, but yeah, yeah, like everyone had a... But yeah, it's like early 2000s. We all had our internet names. Yeah. So that was my internet name. And, so, yeah. so after school, mm-hmm. um, publishing... So I went into uh, trade magazines. I mm-hmm. uh, got a job at BNP Media working for a magazine called Pollution Engineering. I was originally part-time. I was just doing like I was products editor. So like everyone who comes up with a new environmental uh, product would send us their press release and I would turn that into something and you know post it with a picture. And I would, Eventually I was editing all the articles and then I got to be full-time. Uh, I was working on multiple magazines. Another one was... Uh, Industrial Safety and Hygiene News, ISHN, um, big one. And then I was working on Security Magazine, uh, which is a very interesting world, by the way, the guys in security. Are these all trade? trade? <laughs> all, all trade okay, magazines, yeah. yeah. Pollution Engineering was the, was the through line. And eventually I had a really good uh, manager, a really good publisher named Doug Glenn, uh, one of the people that I really... Uh, you know, still need to thank a million times, and probably need to do, do call him up and say it again. Uh, but Doug kind of saw something in me. I asked him, "What does it take to be a publisher?" No one comes from the editorial ranks to be publisher. They're all salespeople, mm-hmm. right? Okay. But I'd actually um, come up with some things. I started our first podcast. No one was doing a podcast in two thousand three. No. So I uh, I did that, and like then I uh, did this um, interview with uh, with. President Bush and John Kerry during the 2004 election asked the candidates where the readers got to submit questions and I kind of pulled a lot of strings in order to get these things done and you know I got the uh, the Bush camp to agree and then the Kerry camp agreed and then I told the Bush camp that the Kerry camp agreed to more than they had and the Bush <laughs> camp was like okay I guess then we have to do it too mm-hmm. and I got this incredible article um and at the very last minute, uh, I think I can tell this now, but they would not have wanted me to disclose this before. Uh, the Bush uh, Bush campaign campaign came back to me and said, "We need to change the answer on global warming," because originally he agreed on it and agreed with the science, and then apparently there were some major donors inside the party who were like, "That cannot be part of the platform," and they had to change it. And I already had it 
down. Mm-hmm. And as a journalist, this was like a really tough decision for me because I'm like, I have this thing too. But I, in the end, I decided like if that's the candidate's position, I have to present the candidate's position. Mm-hmm. So I, I did make the change and mm-hmm. I did, you know, bow to the pressure or whatever. But I thought it was the right editorial decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like my big moment there. And I presented originally like, okay, we can sell a sponsorship to this thing too. It's going to be the whole issue. And uh, that made some news because no one had gotten an interview with both candidates on environmental issues. It just wasn't something that people had gotten. It was all about on. Iraq. Yeah, right. It was the 2004 election was not was about all sorts of other things, and no one had really gotten in on that on those issues, which were major pressing issues, mm-hmm. especially to our readership. I don't know, people are not going to yeah, care that much about it. What's the age group? What What is the demographic for MGO Blog? For MGO Blog, yeah. 25 to 45. Okay, uh, mostly men, obviously, but uh, we have a much higher female percentage than I think most other sports sites do, uh-huh. just because we. Really, you know, we look out. We, we know that there's a lot of female fans out there, and we care about it. So we want to make sure that they have, you know, they're feeling comfortable on our site too. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's like a lot of doctors and lawyers, lots of lawyers, people who want to like think intellectually about their their sports team, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So but yeah. Do you... So Doug. So Doug Glenn gave me an introduction to publishing. Okay. And then I became an associate publisher. I was like tr- learning under him. I learned how to do the business side of the job. And then I became publisher in 2008 of Pollution Engineering. Mm-hmm. Right in time for the crash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am, like 28 years old, in charge of this whole operation. Everyone who works for me is, younger, is older than me. Some of the people who work for me are, were my, form, my, my former bosses. And I really didn't know what I was doing. But I... You know, I tried new ideas. That was my thing. I was going to try different things, but there was no money, and there was you know, it, it was tra- it was trade magazines and being in print in two thousand eight. It was yeah, kind of time. So by that point, I was already looking at a lot of online things. And I was reading MGO blog already, and I kind of already had this feel that like the internet is going to be where people are going to get their news, and the younger demographic is who I should be writing for anyway. And I already tried a lot of these new media things anyway because I've been working in publishing. And Podcast I, and everything, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I understood where the advertisers were because I'd been a publisher. I'd talked to advertisers, industry, public, you know, people who are selling equipment to business to business. But, you know, marketing is marketing. And I understood kind of what their needs were and what they were looking for in the modern age. So when internet marketing was brand new, newsletters were brand new, Banner ads were brand new. Mm-hmm. I was there, and mm-hmm. I was selling them, and I was setting the prices and setting the market and, and understanding what they were going to be used for. And I think that gave me a huge advantage um, in the blogging world because there was this – I don't want to get too deep into the woods here, but there was just a, a massive move towards clicks and numbers. And everyone was just looking at the numbers. How many clicks do you get? How much do you get based off of that? And – People forgot about all the things that they knew about advertising, which magazine advertisers knew, right? You want people to like you. You want people to know who you are. You want people to know what you do and what you don't do. You know, like, trust. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you're getting the right people to call you. You don't want to field a whole bunch of calls from people who are not going to be uh, your kind of marketing, marketing to them. So you also have to be able to get the message across and... You're not just going to get a message across with just a banner ad. That is very, those can be very helpful if you know what you're doing with them. But like it, you have to know what you're doing beyond the numbers. And because I knew that intrinsically, I think that 
really lent itself to when I was already kind of writing for Emgo Blog on the side. I was writing diaries for Brian. Um, and then one day, I know we were going to get into this anyway, so yeah, I might as well jump in. <laughs> um, so I wrote an article about cover three defense. I just read Smart Football. I was really into Chris Brown. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. Some of this myself. And a reader named Steve Sherrick, who's a defensive coordinator, was like, who is this idiot? <laughs> so wrong. He's wrong about everything here. So you contacts Brian. He says he wants to have a sit down with me and Brian. Or he wants to sit down with me and tell and me. And it was what, just a diary post. It was just a diary. <laughs> well, I, my diaries are getting front paged all the time. So it was a diary that got front paged. And then this guy was like, so did Brian, does Brian make the decision back then to front page it? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I and mean, it was a smaller blog back then, too. Yeah. Um, Tom Van Heron was already writing for mm-hmm. him. I think Tim came on around that time. Uh, but I was still just kind of a reader who was posting on the blog. Yeah. Uh, and then, so this is like right, this early se- preseason 2009, and Brian's like, okay, uh, and I, don't, I think I already written an article for Hail the Victors at that point, too. So Brian asked, number one, do you want to edit Hail the Victors next year? And... Um, Copy edit. I wasn't. I, we took. Over, I took it over in 2012. Uh, but also, do you want to like copy edit the articles on the site after Steve Sherrick laid into me about cover three defense? Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot <laughs> right then about like what now a, you're the what the free safety is. Yeah, I, I don't want anyone to find that article. It's terrible. <laughs> but I, you know, I was that started me writing for MGO Blog and and getting a paycheck from MGO Blog as a side thing. I was yeah. still publisher of Pluch Engineering number one, and then I was doing that on the side. Uh, and then when Tom Van Heron left, uh, at the same time ESPN poached Tom, Her- Tom mm-hmm. and at the same time uh, Rivals poached Tim. So Brian all of a sudden had, like, nobody. Yeah, void. Yeah. A vacuum. Yeah. What year was that? Uh, I think it was 2011. Okay. Yeah. Just I think, in time for Hulk. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so he brings Ace on board full-time. At okay. this point, I'm already copy editing the whole Halo of the Victors every year, mm-hmm. uh, but it was still being published through that other company. And I start taking over. Tom was starting to do like some of the advertising for Brian because he just doesn't, he's not good at that. He just does not want to talk to advertisers. He doesn't want to think about it. He's not good at billing. He's not good at cashing mm-hmm. checks. Like All that stuff mm-hmm. was just, he wanted it off his plate. And we, he, Tom had just kind of stepped in and was doing a little bit of that. So I talked to Tom, and he kind of walked me through some of the things he was doing, and mm-hmm. then I just took that over. Uh, and then I made a deal with Brian to make you know a commission off of what I was selling based off of what I did with the you know I knew what com- how commissions worked because of my with the sponsors yeah so I made that it was becoming a l- larger part of my business it was like I was spending more and more time. What was your first uh, stuff. the first sponsor that you worked with? Uh, underground printing. Okay. Yeah, yeah that was he was already time. working with Brian and Brian was just like here talk to Seth. Yeah. So Rishi and I talked together. We came up with the you know podcasts and mm-hmm. all sorts of, and uh, all sorts of sponsorship things. So I think Rishi was the first one, and then um, I brought in my friend Matt Demarest, who I'd known yeah. previously. Yeah, he's he's yeah. like the lead sponsor on every article, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, who else? I. I I remember my first article, the first one I started chasing was Audible. I really wanted Audible for the podcast, and like for some reason we never got them. Uh, and then I also had a um, like my first venture into like corporate advertising. I went after Coca Cola because they were like, we want to sell this new Coke to everybody, like Coke Zero. We want everyone yeah. to, every, college football and Coke Zero are going to be synonymous. And now it's Dr Pepper, right? Right. <laughs> but they're like, they, but they were talking to me about like you know who our readers were, and I'm like. Actually, not our readers. <laughs> That's yeah. not our readers at all. Yeah. Like they are not 
um, you know, these are intellectual guys. These are, you know, you're going to want to, I don't know if that's, and the one thing you're not supposed to do is say, I'm not, we're not really a fit. If you're having a corporate meeting and like yeah. sitting in a nice boardroom. But you did, huh? <laughs> I was like, we're not a fit. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I haven't drank pop in like three, three years, you know, literally. Yeah. And Coke Zero's done a fantastic job marketing to college fans, but I think that, you know, they're going to do a lot better with Clemson fans and Ohio State fans than they will with our readership. True, yeah. <coughs> um, so, so yeah, that's a guy I who'd never played football, right? Right. <laughs> now got the next sharpies going through the X and the X's and the O's. Mm-hmm. Copy editor. Every, well, I started writing Dear yeah. Diary, right? Uh huh. But I was just kind of I would write whatever I wanted to before because I was so I did I did take something over and Tim had just left, so I took over that to start with. But I was just writing my thoughts on Sunday after the game in Dear Diary, and I'd have something. I have my own diary before we got to Dear Diary a whole bunch. And then eventually I broke that off into, I think it was, Hope Points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. So what about um, a fun story? Like yeah. a behind-the-scenes story, maybe, that... I know you guys are real public about everything, but maybe something that people wouldn't remember or something's worth repeating. It's not a whole lot. I mean, yeah, we're public with anything we can repeat. <laughs> I mean, there's our Slack chat that goes on all day long, and uh, you know, we're we make fun of people a lot more in there than we do, <laughs> we do on. It doesn't make it to the post. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think sometimes you can see in our posts some of the people that we have less respect for because it will bleed through once in a while. But uh, like the old Florida coach with the shark. Oh, that was no. It was mostly public. <laughs> even yeah, like the, I mean we. The, the day that that came out, we were laughing our heads off. But yeah. like it was, yeah, I, it, it lasted for a few months. I want to say, yeah. yeah. I, I think Graham Couch would be surprised how much we make fun of them. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I, the Michigan State media is just, you know, when you're in media and you know, like, and you're making the same decisions they are, to see them making very opposite decisions, and then seeing how it, it comes out, like you, you can make a direct line between the schools that have major scandals and the way that their press corps covers them. Mm-hmm. And the decisions that the press corps makes about you know how you know how, how much are you going to let the um, school decide how you're mm-hmm. going to cover them, and so you know we it, it there there's some seriousness to it too. But like like that's I think one thing people would be surprised we talk about. There's not much more than that. We had a um, way back when you know Ace came on and Heiko came on and Eric Upchurch was brand new. Eric had an uncle who looks, by the way, exactly like Jim Leland. I still show mm-hmm. pictures of him to people and like convince them that I was hanging out with Jim Leland with his shirt off. <laughs> uh, he has an uncle eating a sandwich, right? Yeah, no, he, he was, I think he was fishing or something like that. But <laughs> he's just in his like you know in his swim trunks, and uh, we we went out to his uncle's cottage um, and all had like a you know a camping weekend together with all the blog, which was very strange. And everyone, the wives and girlfriends all came and. Um, we discover that everybody but Brian plays guitar and likes music a lot. So, like, Eric was playing guitar, I was playing guitar, Ace played a couple of songs, and um, and Brian was just sitting there like, who did I hire? <laughs> like, who are these people? Yeah. So, one of the things that I find myself as a reader, right, mm-hmm. not just a sponsor, but a, a reader, I think 2008 was probably when I started yeah. coming around. Um, there's all kinds of... In, like what appears to be insider acronyms and other things like that. Yeah. So, like, I remember... We try to keep that down on the front page a little bit more now because, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, like, 
what are some of the more more common acronyms that? Well, well right now, BPone yeah. is one thrown around. That's the black pit of negative expectations. So that's like the way you feel after the Ohio State game every year. Well, it's no, it's more <laughs> a it's preemptive. In so you enter yeah. the black pit of ne- negative expectations before the Ohio State game and say to yourself... Know, I was so positive, though, you know, it's the last well, two years. So then I you're going like to get damaged. You're going to yeah. get hurt. All right, picture it as... So I have this down for the for my Lions fandom, okay? Oh, yeah. I do not expect the Lions to win. If the Lions are ahead by 17 points in the fourth quarter, I think to myself, I wonder how they're going to lose. How are they going to be-pwn it? How are they going <laughs> to... Well, no, I'm already in the be-pwn. Yeah. I'm in the black pit of negative expectations. And that prevents me from having to get upset when inevitably mm-hmm. the Lions gack up 20 points in the fourth quarter and they lose. Yeah. And then instead of being like all upset, I can just laugh about it, right? Yeah. I can just be like, ah, <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Now, the problem with the B-Pone is if the Lions do win, you're not going to gather any you know, happiness from it. You're not going to like feel elated. Mm-hmm. You're not going to jump up and down and high-five your friends because... The Lions just won. Mm -hmm. But you save yourself a lot of damage, too. So that's what the B-Pone is. You're sacrificing. You're hedging. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is some certain literature you understand. I do understand. Right. So you are mortgaging some of your future happiness earning potential in order to ameliorate the damage that the inevitable loss to Ohio State is going to bring to you. Is Is it inevitable? Yes. Yeah. Feels that way. They have the number one recruit coming in again this year. You know, Zach Harrison's going to be the next Chase Young, and then the guy they're bringing in after him is going to be the next Zach Harrison, and it's going to keep on going. Someone wrote yesterday somewhere that Chase Young is coming back. I'm like, no way. That would be ridiculous. He's going to be like the number one pick, right? Yeah, he's not coming back. He's easily top five. Yeah. But listen, I mean, winning is going to – that's the thing about college football is winning is going to bring winning. Right? I mean, if Michigan beat Ohio State, I can't tell you how good it would be for my business. <laughs> okay, so now Alabama, right? Yeah. So, you, know, you, nice. see, you see the Alabama matchup and you're like, Ugh, again. But then you're like, well, there's nothing to lose, right? So if we, if we play tight, if we win, you know, it's well, like you remember, a seven-point game. So let's go through two Florida Bowl games of recent vintage, right? Yeah. 2015 uh, Harbaugh. Smoked them. We smoked them because they're about to fire their coach. They're not playing for anything, right? Yeah. They're like Michigan was when like we went to that bowl game with Rich Rod, like you know, with the Mississippi, with Mississippi State. State. Yeah, like who cares? No one cares, right? Um, and we smoked them because Michigan is out there to prove something. New coach, yeah. new program. We're on our way up. We're going to go and show everybody what we got. And then the second game against Florida, you know, we have this horrific game against Ohio State that just destroyed all of us. That was the yeah. uh, the um, JT spot game. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about last year. Oh, I thought you were talking Florida. about so after oh, Michigan oh, has this great year, this great season, we have the yeah, revenge we played tour. Florida State in and the then, 16 game, and we yeah. So Florida State game that was fine. Everyone we were up for that one. You know, Peppers gets hurt right before the game. I still, it's so weird that people still think that he, that guy, never seen someone so upset that he couldn't play. He couldn't play. Really, he I knew mean, he couldn't I, play. I, I thought it was like half and half. Who knows? You know, that guy. I you know I've heard from people who were there okay. uh, and multiple people who went to lie about this. That like he knew he couldn't play and still came out to practice and tried to he make dressed. it happen anyway. Yeah. yeah. 
and like he was going to take it to the very end because he wanted to be in that game. That was so the Florida bad. State game. That was okay. that Florida State now, game. Now the Florida game last year. Florida was, game last we're a year. Four team against Ohio we, State, a three point favorite in Columbus, and and they get blown and out. choke it out. Yeah. yeah. So after that, everyone goes into you know who cares, right? And a lot of the NFL uh, prospects we had who've been playing injured all year. There's like no reason for Gary to like hurt his shoulder anymore at that Gary point. Gary sat, Bush sat, mm-hmm. um, Higdon sat. Yeah, and then we also lost our defensive lineman in the middle of the beginning of the game too. So like we're down to like Aiden Hutchinson starting at right end, and yeah, you can't like Michigan was. Injured, but also, like, there's just a level of not caring, right? And so we got hammered. My point is, with the Alabama game, if Alabama comes in and, like, there's who a cares? Parallel. Yeah, there's a right. parallel. Right, and Michigan is like, well, we, we you know, we're, we got something to prove. Nobody's sitting out this game. So, I mean, I maybe, feel like maybe they could. I feel like there's a ton to prove. I, yeah. I mean, my beat poem is managing my expectations, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you should have your... Your expectations should be managed because it is Alabama. Yes. And Alabama has... They're still outstanding. They're still... Yeah. It's just... I mean, it's talent on the field matters so much. You can't change that. was it uh, the Dallas game against Alabama 2012 or Yeah. So I was there. Yeah. And it was 35-0 at halftime. Okay. (laughs) And they sell beer inside the stadium. Uh Uh-huh. You know? So (laughs) I didn't leave because I wasn't driving and I had to wait around. But I did find a popcorn vendor right outside the okay in the concourse, and it was unlimited refills. So <laughs> I watched the second half with unlimited popcorn with a lot of salt. Yeah, <laughs> high blood pressure problems. I, I I had a wedding that day, um, so I had told everyone this is my job. I you know I cover and yeah. I, this. I think that was the year I'd taken myself full time. Was 2012, so I was like, "This is my so job." You skip is, the wedding. Yeah. So I, I no, no, well, I, I'm going to go to the wedding, but I'm uh, except for the ceremony and like when I'm needed, I'm going to be in the bar watching the yeah. game. And I made sure everyone understood this is my my job. I have to. Cover what Rachel this. have to say about that? She was understanding because I was starting. This is my you know, okay. and I didn't explain too hard about why I needed to watch the game. I was just like, this is my job. I have to watch the yeah. game, and everyone understands that. And then I did the nicest thing. You know, after the first quarter, I came back to the wedding, and I was like, listen, I don't want to miss this. This is a family event. Ah, yeah, nice. This is your family. I'm part of your family. I can't miss this. You're too important to me. And it was only 21 nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and Denard was only was already hurt. And The moment that happened for me was, I think, Denard threw an interception because Roy Roundtree was so much smaller than the cornerback who was covering him that the guy pushed Roundtree out of bounds, just like shoved him. I know it's illegal, but whatever. You're not going to get a call like that. Shoves him out of bounds. He falls down to the sideline. The guy intercepts it, starts running it back. Denard tries to tackle him, and Denard injures his shoulder. That's like, okay, that's what, that's what we're up against. That's what this game's going to be. The best part about that game was we kicked off to Bama, and Bama went three and out. Yeah, and we lost Blake Countess on the kickoff. Oh, man. Who's our best corner? It's terrible. So, okay, so now you've been at the blog for many years, and the blog continues to grow, right? The, yeah. The, the vehicle, the medium. So my crucible year was 2014. Okay. So 2014, um, my father dies that summer uh, on July 4th. In the meantime, I was also trying to take the book um, – in 2012 was when we first published the book independently. Mm-hmm. And I had made the, and because that did, was successful enough, I was like, okay, now I'm making enough that like 
we could squeak by for a bit and I, while I make this my career. And part of the plan was I was going to expand the book idea. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do one for Penn State. I was going to do one for Ohio State. I was going to do one for Notre Dame. I was going to do one for the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a, a company we had been working with who like way over hedged themselves and was just owed everybody money. Our book was the one making the money. And they didn't pay us. And we had to go pay all of our writers out of pocket and mm-hmm. didn't make anything of it. So uh, before even that happened, I was like, these guys suck and I don't know how to publish a magazine. So we took 2012 Independence and I was running it. Um, 2014 was the year we tried the basketball edition and I was doing a Penn State edition. And I got this publisher who said, this printer who was going to... Um, they said they were getting in stores all over the place. Instead, all they did was ruin all the relationships with the stores that I had already, held on to the books until August, and didn't get them to people until like the day before the season started. It was a total loss. Mm. And I took a huge personal loss. That year, I made less. I, I lost money at my job. Mm. And you know, by this point, my wife has uh, her career is just starting out. And you know, we're looking at how we're going to afford things. Uh, we just bought a house. And we have a just brand. Just had a baby, right? We just had a baby. Yeah, yeah, we had a baby that March. And then and my father had just died, and that was you know devastating me too. Mm. And I was kind of looking at it this, and we're going into the 2014 season, and then 2014 season sucks. Oh, that was awful. And like, you know. What was it five and seven or something? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was the Brady Hoke and Firebrand Gar- and everything. And Gardner's senior year, right? All these. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And it was just, it was a miserable season after it. I had a miserable horrible horrible year everything felt like it was coming apart and i was trying to make make all this stuff work um and the question was do i have to kind of go back to a nine to five Mm -hmm. or can we make this work and that you know my wife was really concerned obviously and i was really concerned and i didn't have a safety net anymore because you know my my father didn't make a ton of money but he had enough that if i was going to have a problem well now he's gone um and I wasn't sure. Maybe, maybe like by that November, if I was gonna like have to go, I was giving myself a, t- a deadline yeah. to start. And Harbaugh comes, yeah, and just like all the ugliness clears away, nice. and I kind of start hitting my stride, and I get mm-hmm. some sponsors, and that really kind of saved it. And that was the that was the moment where I could find I finally got it figured out. Yeah, uh, but like to have to go that low and have to like yeah. you know. And be still churning out information, still be doing the job, and still be trying to get it all working. Um, that really kind of cemented to me, like, I can't... Anything that happens bad now, I can be like, it's not 2014, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> That's how I can kind of feel about 2008. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, that's long in the rearview mirror now. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got a job you love, right, in a... a, a a medium, right? Yeah. Blogging that is continuing to grow. I don't know if it's exponential anymore or whatever. So but I, it's I growing, mean, right? Blog is really kind of because we're not going to change who we are. We're not going to be a site for everybody. We're right. going to be a site for intellectual Michigan fans. So I think, but you can still have reached, a bigger piece of the Michigan pie. I think the difference is whether Michigan does better. Mm-hmm. You know, if Michigan beats Ohio State, we're looking at double, triple the readership. And sponsors who really want to get involved and and do cool things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we ever get make it to Indianapolis, we're going to have an event you guys will not believe. Would, and it's been planned twice round. now. I so by the first round for that one, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're going to want to. It's going to be it's going to be quite a commitment. Um, but that's okay because the beer sponsor is yeah, already I mean, interested. Yeah, in 2016, I was like, 
in the fourth quarter, we have the ball up 10. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, oh, I better go get my hotel room right now. We had, a, and we had a very large space reserved already at that point. So, I mean, that kind of thing is going to be what, you know, we, Michigan hasn't had its great moment yet. Yeah. You know, we had a couple basketball teams make it to the national championship and not win it. Uh, and even that, basketball is only going to be, you know, an eighth of football. So football is the driver. One-eighth? Yeah. Wow. And the way football, we're, I know we're going to have our readers, but like the, the amount of interest in basketball is just not going to be so, there. So if you look at like the volume of hits, right, that's one yeah. good measurement, right? Yeah. So if you look at the Ohio State week mm-hmm. versus the 2013 Final Four, 2018 Final Four, how does the how does the volume is it one eighth? Well, you have to look at football recruiting too. Is that so? The football recruiting was in 2013 February. We're getting like I think you know eight recruits within a two week span. Yeah. So like while that basketball thing is going on, we're also just you know Taco Charlton and Jake Butt and all those guys are committing, uh, and so that changes things too, right? So I mean, they're all the pieces are connected. You can't just like separate one from the other. Uh, but yeah, as far as you know. There's a lot of metrics you can look at, but mm-hmm. also if you're talking about this stuff every day and you're on the board every day and you see how many people are reading each article and clicking through, you get a sense of you know what people are, are yeah. interested in. I mean, we're interested in basketball. We're interested in hockey. We're interested in baseball. Mm-hmm. And there's a group of Michigan fans who will follow that, especially when they're good. Smaller and smaller. Right, but, like, but the thing is, in sports, people don't have to. So if it's making you miserable, you're not going to always go there. There's a large number of fans who are... You know, first keep in mind most of our fans are most of our readers are not on the message board. Most of our readers are going to be people who are yeah. reading the site and then not That's commenting. Yeah. yeah, and I get that all the time. Oh, I I read the site all the time, but I don't comment. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we, I, we have very detailed numbers your, on that. I know how right. I know how many people are commenting and, and why and when they are, and, and that's a different, um, an important part because a lot of your core people are going to be the commenters. But also, like our core reader is all is usually not actually a commenter; they're a person yeah. who's reading. Yeah. Um, and then the lift that we get, the numbers will go up when people are really excited about the team. Yeah. So you know, we're going into an Ohio State game that we think we're going to win, 2016 and 2018. Uh, you know the readership is vastly higher than when uh, you know when we lose or where we think we're going to lose. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, you know, in the aftermath of a game, anytime we have a win, people want to find out more. Now, you, people still think all the time they come to me and they're like, "Oh, hey, at least you're going to get a lot of hits on your site." That's terrible for us. Negativity is terrible. Mm. When we lose and people are mad or we have a bad game against a bad team and still just barely pull it out and people are mad. Yes, you're going to have some people on your message board, and it's visual. Mm-hmm. But most people are... They don't want to read the column. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll want to read the one column of what happened. But they're not going I to do, want to I know why it broke. They're, they're not, I, and I need it. I yeah. need to, like, you know, I, I need a UFR. That's why I became an MGO blog fan. I need a UFR to get through, like, 2007 season. Yeah. Uh, but, like, people, most people are not going to be that in-depth about something that's going to make them miserable. Yeah. How many people are going to want to read exactly how Ohio State's base play was tearing I, Michigan's I defense apart? I hate that part. <laughs> I, I'm like, a, you, why can't we run that play? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I know, it's from an X's and O's standpoint, it's interesting why Ohio State does it, and it makes sense. But, like, people are not going to be as interested in that as, you know, here's a play why we beat Ohio State, yeah, right? right? Or here's why this... Um, and so, no, people mad on the message board is 
not good for us at all. Yeah. It might be a little bit of flash, but like they're also not in a mode where they're going to be like, oh, I'm pissed off. I'm going to go on this message board and write something. Is that person going to like have a positive experience with our advertisers? No. Yeah. No. So when Michigan's winning and people want to clap a beer together and say and, and, and have fun together and want to be around each other and things are positive, that's when business is really, uh, really good for us. Right. So, yeah. so we're probably the biggest blog, right, in Michigan. The Michigan pie doesn't grow yeah, too I, much, but you can be a bigger piece of the I think pie. I, I think unless you want to count 11 Warriors because they're a little bit different business model from yeah, us but now, but like, we're the, still the biggest independent blog out there. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, Just because Michigan fans are legion. So when you think about like your career, like your lifestyle, right, there's plenty of opportunity to continue in the blogging world, mm-hmm. right, to allow you to continue uh, having flex scheduling, work with work something you love, be there with the kids while yeah. they're growing up, and your kids are five. Uh, they're five, five and two. And five and two. two. So we have a kindergartner and a preschooler. Yeah, so like... When you think forward to your career, right, are there any consequences that, that you are going to have later mm-hmm. for, um, I think you said, took a little bit of a pay cutter, at least early on, yeah. right? But as the medium grows and develops and Michigan has more and more success, maybe that's not the case, right? But I mean, when you, some of these other people in the lifestyle planning area, like we alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. maybe they retire from Ford at 55, but they have a special uh, skill set, right? Yeah. Where they can consult from 55 to 65 and make part-time wages. Maybe maybe a high hourly rate, mm-hmm. but not 9 to 5. Not yeah. slaving away with I mean, the stress. The, I'm sure the, you know? You know, the, the buzzword is a um, lifestyle business, right? Yeah. And you know what I do doesn't necessarily always equate with lifestyle, especially during football season. Cause right, like, it's seasonal. Yeah. It's seasonal. Uh, but you set your priorities. I think the... The major difference today is that technology allows you to be able to be as productive from home as you are in an office yeah. in a lot of settings. As long as you're not holding a baby. Right, right. <laughs> and, and obviously, if you're an attorney, you're going to have to go to court. You're going to have yeah. to go to depositions. You can't, you know, everyone has. So you look at what your avail- real availability is. What's your real-time availability? And what is your real uh, personal availability? You know, everyone's got a limit of how much they can work. Everyone has a limit of how much time. And what's the amount of time that you want to spend? And where is it important? But I think that we all kind of came up in um, in a society that had that was a little bit more rigid because of the needs of our businesses, right? You mm-hmm. need to be there so everyone can talk to each but, other. Butts in seats, nine butts to five. in seats, nine to five, because that way we can all get our work done. Well, we can get our work done by sitting in, you know, in bed when you wake up and go on your phone and you can, and you can get an email out, right? So, because we have more flexibility, then you have to have more responsibility for your time, and you also have to make sure that you're not working all the time too. You have to work be able, for work's sake. Yeah, and. You know, everyone, especially in a small business setting, you're going to have a situation where if you're not working, if you're anytime you're working, you can be making more money, and anytime you are, you're you're not, right? Yeah. So you have to balance that too, and you have to balance your own expectations for yourself. Um, really, for me, it started with first of all, I want to be able to work from home, and working from home means the kids are going to be there, but I also need the ability to have to work when I need to work, right? So we have a babysitter. 
and the babysitter. We knew that we wanted to get somebody who was part-time, somebody who maybe has another job like you know, at Starbucks or something like that and is not doing us all the time, not their 9 to 5 either. Uh, and we were really fortunate to have a great babysitter who has like, you know, a lot of flexibility in her life. So uh, that helps a lot with the young children. I think as they get older, it changes because, you know, my oldest is in school now. So that her – she's gone 9 to 5 anyway, yeah. right? You're 9 to, three, nine to 4 anyway. Uh, but, like, I can plan time into my life now where I can spend time with them. Uh, I can go and have lunch with my kids during the day. I can be the person who picks them up. Uh, it's a little strange, I think, for our generation. I don't know if, you, if your group of friends are the same, but with my group of friends, uh, every man uh, works from home or has you know as much or more to do with the kids than the than our, than our wives, uh, which is I mean something I don't think any of us imagined growing up. Mm-hmm. Like even in the '90s, I don't think people imagined there would be that much of a shift, mm-hmm. uh, and. You know, when you're talking about in your marriage, too, you have to make the same decisions like you do in business. Here's the amount of work that we have to get done. Here's our parameters. Here's what we have to work with. And then let's see who can handle these things. Can you take her to school on these days? I'll take her to school on these days. You know, are we going to be around together? Um, in my faith, we have Shabbat, which is on Friday nights. That the family gets together and, and has dinner. I obviously can't make it on Friday nights during football mm-hmm. season. But we make that an important thing. Uh, as a moment to like get the family together, so you make these decisions and you have just wider parameters now. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially you know with my business, I I know when the football season is, I know when basketball season is, I know when the games are scheduled, and so then I can schedule family time or family events or even trips around that. Right. So how does that relate to stress? Right. Do you <laughs> feel can, when you compare the different career paths? Right. Mm-hmm. Being publisher and now being at the, at the blog. Does it mean less stress, or is it just back to the old maybe human nature aspect? We make our own stress out of nothing. I think the humans are naturally stressed. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of being yeah. alive. Yeah. And I think that a lot of it comes down to you know how much you enjoy doing what you're doing. Yeah. So if I'm writing a next Sharpies article, I'm not, I, I'm stressed because it's got to get done. There's a deadline. There's a deadline for it, but it's also I'm, ha- I'm get, you know I'm getting flow. I'm getting I'm having fun you doing like it, this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I so, think the, the stress is like stuff that I put on myself, but I think everyone you have to, that's a personal thing you have to manage. You know, if you're if you're overstressed, you're not going to be working well anyway. So it's part of productivity too, right? And you're not going to live as long. Yeah. So a client told a client uh, retire or quit. I, I'd say quit because she, she was like our age and stayed home with the kids, mm-hmm. right? And the idea was. Look, I can't handle the pressure anymore. I'm going to have a mental breakdown kind of deal. I'm, yeah. I need to stay home. But instead of having low stress from being at home, it ended up being the same level of stress because now you're stressed about yeah. the kids and the bathroom remodel. Right. It's just a different source, right? But it's the human nature part, like you said. So, you know, it's got to be something that you like, right? Yeah. But you also, if you're having stress problems, I believe, Right, it's how you respond to that source. Yeah, and we all need to be better at that. Maybe we'd all be happier too. Well, I mean, we're very. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm into science, and so I bring stuff, scientific things into these things all the time. But like, we're very neuro, neurodiverse uh, species. So not everyone's brains are going to work the same way. Mm-hmm. You have to know how your brain works. Yeah, and so if your brain is able to like focus on something deeply, um, and then switch gears really quickly, then you can do that. Uh, if you you need I, the the systems that I have 
to keep myself working, keep myself productive and not miss things are um, tailored to how my mind works. And I don't think everyone else's mind is going to be working the same way I do. There is one trick that I, uh, I think I got it from Matt Demarest actually, that I share with like a lot of people is if you have a little thing, do it first and get it done out of the way. Because that's going to gnaw on your brain. Use that next sharpie and scratch it off the list. <laughs> right, right. I like I, I do like lists. I have a, a yellow notepad on my <laughs> desk, and and it's that's my uh, you know I, I'll sit down and I'll write what I have to get done. I'll look over which ones are small, and I'll get those things done because little things that don't get done are what are really going to pile up on you. So you knock those out, and then you feel a lot more free. So knowing what you know now, right? Do you think that more and more people should be working at a more, say, medium pace for longer, mm-hmm. right? Where think of the, the traditional American work 50 plus hours yeah. till 65 and then you hit the wall, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't take it anymore. Hopefully you saved enough money and yeah. now you can have your recreation, right? Or does it make sense to go at a medium pace kind of forever, well, I mean, you're going to as miss long as things. You like it. Yeah. As long as you yeah. like it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to miss things. If you're, if you're going to work your tail off until you're 60 and then retire, you're going to miss everything that you can and, do in your and 40s. And let me say, yeah. it's really hard to retire at 60 these days because <laughs> yeah. Cause Social Security, yeah. the earliest is 62, and yeah. Medicare is 65, right? right? So who's going to pay the medical, you know? Right. Well, but yeah, I, you're going to uh, miss those things. Yeah, I think so that... So how do you juggle it? So I think you have to back up and you have to look at... You're, you, you can't look. Don't create um, walls that don't that don't really exist. Don't uh, look because things have always been done a certain way. Because people always went to work nine to five and then they retired at sixty five. Uh, I I don't think you have to look at your life that way necessarily. Now, if you like are someone who likes structure and that's a structure, then that works for you and use it. And don't be mad at yourself for using it. Don't have to be upset because you're taking. You know what's good for you, uh, and, and and living in a world that that works for you. Um, also, don't expect everyone else to necessarily have to do that. But you have to know that your parameters are not necessarily what they always were. You have probably have the ability to work from home more often. When you're working from home, you have to have some parameters there too. Daddy's door is shut; he's working, mm-hmm. and the kids know not to come in and bother me. Uh, Daddy's door is open; you can come in and get a daddy hug. Uh, <laughs> Or you know you can you you can use a Tuesday if you have a preschooler to take the kid uh, you know to a park and walk around. Uh, you just have to know that like you know you can also work late at night. Yeah. You have to know what your parameters are and know what works for you. And it's not always easy, but you have to like know that all these things are important. And you can't just you know don't just be a, a you know. Don't be a workaholic. This is an easy thing to say, mm-hmm. but once you remove that structure. It's really hard to start prioritizing things. So you need a priority tree, and you need to know what your availability is, and you need to know what you're capable of personally. Start with that, and then start filling in the blanks, right? Mm -hmm. You have this huge pool of time before you die. You can extend that by being healthier. You have X amount of time with your kids before they're grown and not going to play with you anymore. Um, And you need to plan, so you need to plan that kind of time in them. Uh, you need to be doing things for yourself and your family, just paying the bills, 
figuring out your retirement, thinking long-term, that has to be planned into what you're doing. So you now have to think about all these parameters, which if you just kind of followed the old structure of going to work nine to five and then you know do your taxes at this time and all that, if you follow that structure, that will work. If you break from that structure, you find you have a lot more ability, you still just gotta get the same things done. It's the same piece. You have to have the discipline. Yeah. But I'm saying you're you're going to break apart this this whole puzzle that was you know put together before, and then you can put the pieces together in different ways. Mm-hmm. But make sure all the pieces fit. Don't mm-hmm. you know? Don't leave something out. Yeah, from a structural point of view, you have yeah. to make sure that it works for all the goals in your life right. before you start diving in. Right. Yeah. But know where your know where your parameters are, and they may not be where you think they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you may be able to function working at night. Maybe you function. You don't function at night. Yeah. Uh, you have to kind of, you have to look at it from a perspective of like what do people need from me? What do I need from them? When do I have to be available? When do I not have to be? I don't. I think you can look at it from a perspective of you know. I you need to take some time for yourself. Uh, you're not necessarily going to always be able to have that time to yourself, but you need to have that planned in. So what I do is I just have activities that I know we're going to do. We have a, um, a sailboat that my dad left us that, uh, you know, we go sailing with the, with the family all the time. And that's, that takes care of family. That also takes care of, you know, need to like break away. Like the phone's off. Yeah. You're out there. You know, if Les Miles needs to be phone called right then, I can't deal with it. <laughs> I'm sailing, yeah, right? Exactly. But people need that. And yeah. I think that like, I think they, because the internet allows us to work when we want to work, um, and certain jobs allow us to work when we want to work. That makes us responsible for a lot more time than we were responsible for before. If you take that responsibility and you take on that challenge, you can find a lot of things that you didn't have before that are of real value. Yeah. And I go back to like my friends and I, none of us imagined being on the ground fathers who were going to PTA meetings and going... I, I went to my daughter's kindergarten and read three books to them the other day. <laughs> cool. Like... You know, that kind of thing, I never imagined myself having the ability to do. But when you find you can have that, like, you have opportunities to do things that are amazing as, a, you know, amazingly fulfilling as a parent, as a member of society. You can do a lot of things that you didn't think you could do before uh, because you've gotten rid of, you know, a commute to work or sitting around in an office with nothing to do. Like, there's, there is time out there. But you just have to take responsibility for it. And there you have it. <laughs> We've got a little MGO blog action from Seth yeah. and a little lifestyle planning from Seth. <laughs> and I think about that kind of stuff as it relates to yeah. me. And I've got a couple things to figure out probably. Yeah. Um, I think but, we all – I mean this is an ongoing process for everybody, yeah, right? We're ongoing. We're in a brand new world. Our generation is not living in the same world that the previous generation lived in. Right. And uh, you know, some of the structure that – we used to have we don't have anymore so you know look out look at what take stock mm-hmm. i think this is what you tell clients to do too right take stock of what you have yeah you got to look at the inventory look mm-hmm. at your inventory and look at what your capabilities are and then you can kind of sort things around and move things around and then suddenly you have the ability to do some things that you didn't have the ability to do before and God, i did not know i was going to enjoy reading to kindergartners as much as i did <laughs> um so yeah, like yeah. Last week we went to the the little Christmas play, like the uh-huh. holiday play, and like a hundred little three year olds come trotting out. Yeah, and it was just the cutest thing, just adorable. <laughs> so I, I can relate to that. So yeah, 
Seth, thank you. Nick. Appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate you and appreciate everything you do for the site. Thank you. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to certified financial planner Nick Hopwood and accredited investment fiduciary Jim Pilot on the Finding True Wealth podcast, sponsored by Peak Wealth Management. You can learn more about Peak Wealth Management by visiting peakwm.com or follow on Twitter at nhopwood1.